Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the wonderful world of education. Something a bit different this episode. As some of you may be aware, last year I was lucky enough to host the Inside Exams podcast, where I went behind the scenes of AQA to find out how they write exams, set grade boundaries, standardise, deal with social media, and much more besides. Now, one of my favourite interviews from that series was with Zeke Sweary, which was all about multiple choice questions. AQA have multiple choice questions on several of their exams, perhaps most notably on their maths GCSE. Now, listeners will know I am a self-confessed multiple choice lover, especially with the 60,000 diagnostic multiple choice questions available for free on my diagnostic questions website. But can you believe it? Not everyone is as into them as I am. Indeed, multiple choice questions are often criticised for being either trick questions, or easier to answer because you can just have a guess, or even a little unfair given the work involved to be awarded the one mark they are often worth. So I decided to put all of this to Zeke and much more, including how to write a good multiple choice question. And I tell you what, it turned out to be an absolute cracker of a conversation that has loads of implications for assessment and teaching as a whole. Will you be a multiple choice question lover at the end of it? There's only one way to find out. Now, throughout the conversation, we use the term distractors. And I just want to clear up that is a technical term for the incorrect options that every multiple choice question needs. So, three quick plugs before we dive into this episode. Firstly, Joe Morgan and I are running two conferences under the title of Marvellous Maths. The first one is in London on the 29th of October at Joe's fancy new school, and the other one is in Halifax on the 31st of October at Trinity Academy. Tickets are £90 plus VAT, which includes lunch and prizes. Hopefully you think that's good value for money, and there is a jam-packed fun schedule for those that come. At the time of recording, around 70% of the tickets have been sold, and we are expecting them to all go, so if you are keen to attend, just visit the links in the show show notes to find out more. That's marvellous maths. Second plug, as this episode is centred around diagnostic questions, it would be daft of me not to mention that my diagnostic questions website, conveniently called diagnosticquestions.com, has nearly 50,000 free maths multiple choice questions and now over 20,000 from other subjects, including computer science, modern foreign languages, history, geography, English, design and technology, and much more. Just head over to diagnosticquestions.com to get started for free. And the third and final plug, Inside Exams Season 2, yes we are back, is nearly upon us and there are some cracking episodes covering everything from assessment validity to teaching context. Look out for Series 2 from the 11th of November and to whet your appetite and get yourself all set up, all episodes from Season 1 are available now. Just search for Inside Exams on your preferred podcast platform or follow the link in the show notes. And as a special treat, you'll also find some summer bonus features in that same list of episodes. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce you to Zeke. 
I really hope you enjoy this one. And if you enjoy it a fraction as much as I did, then you're in for an absolute treat. You take care of yourselves. Bye for now and enjoy listening. Zeke, absolutely fantastic to meet you. I cannot wait for this conversation because I'm just going to put it out there from the start. I absolutely love a multiple choice question. <laughs> Excellent. And I love, nothing makes me happier than speaking to somebody else who loves them as well. But I'm very much aware that there's some criticisms of multiple choice questions, perhaps some misconceptions, and I want to dive into all of that in this conversation. My first question for you, Zeke, is there's a perception that multiple choice questions are easier to answer than non-multiple choice questions. We'll dig into that later. But are they easier to write than non-multiple choice questions? That's a good question. And, and I think generally the answer that, that you'll find in the research and from test developers is absolutely not. They're, mm. they're not easier to write. The fundamental difficulty, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we go along, comes down to coming up with good, plausible distractors yes. to, to the questions. And the whole validity of a multiple choice question will ultimately depend on having plausible distractors. Those can often be the challenging part of multiple choice questions to write. The other huge challenge is that it's, it's often said that multiple choice questions cannot be written to assess higher order skills. Mm. They can, but again, there's a challenge in doing that. Let's imagine that together we're going to write a multiple choice question. I mean, nothing will make me happier. Where, where, <laughs> would, where would the process start for you? What, do you start with the question or do you start with the answers? Perhaps the way I would go about things, and, and I can, I'll explain a, f a few reasons why, mm. would be to start with an idea of what it is that you want to assess. For example, if you're working with a particular curriculum or specification, what statement within that specification or curriculum that it is that you want mm. to assess. But without actually writing the question, the next point is really about thinking about what it is you want to assess. And at the same time, simultaneously, whether there are misconceptions or other types of plausible distractors that would go along with a correct answer to that mm. point that you want to assess. Otherwise, the danger is, and probably the most common cause of having invalid questions, is to write the question, then write your answer as one of the four options, yes. and then just think, right, I need to come up with three other yeah. alternative options. That's, it's fair to say, the wrong way of writing questions, because if the distractors become an afterthought in that way, mm. they're almost always susceptible to a number of problems that will generally mean that the question will be invalid and almost redundant within a test. So you, you're writing the question with the misconceptions in mind. And, and if you leave those distractors to the end, that's when we run into problems. Is that right? I, I think that's absolutely right. It's not always fair to call them misconceptions. Oh, okay. So in some subjects, it's easier to think of alternative answers as misconceptions. So for example, in, in mathematics, if I asked a question that required the candidates to add fractions, mm. then there are some obvious misconceptions yes. there about adding the denominators together and so on. In other subjects, we might not necessarily think of them as, as misconceptions. So for example, if this was an English reading assessment, then really there are no misconceptions that exist before that text has been created ah, that, that, the, that the test is based on. So ultimately, in, in, rather than thinking about them as misconceptions, it's often the case that you're thinking about what the competing information is. So for example, if the question was what year was certain person born, then if there are other numbers or years within that text, then those become the distractors. Yes. They're not really misconceptions in the same 
same way as those as those maths examples are. That's really interesting. I've only got experience of writing maths, multiple choice questions. My bias suggests that maths lends itself particularly well to multiple choice questions. But, I mean, do you agree with that or are, are they equally suitable to all subjects? I think that maths perhaps lends itself well to multiple choice questions in relation to other subjects when your primary purpose for writing is is for formative diagnostic mm. purposes. Mm. Because going back to that point about misconceptions, they usually are, for, for any piece of mathematics you want to assess, they usually are common misconceptions which the question writers, the teachers are, are well aware of. And by including those within questions, there's a really powerful diagnostic aspect to it because you can then start to look across, for example, a class as to what the common misconceptions are, what the things you really want to then teach are to ensure that your class really understands the concepts. Mm. I think one of the things is that the biggest advantages of multiple choice questions are that they are more reliable to mark mm. and you can assess more of the curriculum in a shorter space of time, right. if you like. But that doesn't necessarily work in the same way for mathematics because if the answer is a single number, it is essentially as reliable to mark yes. if it was open as if it was a multiple choice question. So you don't, and, all, and it's the same really with the content coverage point. So you don't necessarily get the same advantages in a summative assessment mm. where there is no diagnostic purpose to writing questions as multiple choice. What are, what are some of the key things that your question writers need to bear in mind when they're putting together a multiple yeah. choice question? The Aspects of the question are split up into four key areas. The biggest one by far are distractors. Mm. And uh, as we said before, the validity of the question really rests on the quality of the distractors. And the two key points about the properties of the, of the distractors, they must be plausible. Yes. And they must be wrong, which actually <laughs> yeah. sounds in many subjects is more difficult than, yes. than, than I've just made it sound, just, just simply to say they must be wrong. In a subject like, let's take English reading again, where there is going to be more subjectivity, there's going to be individual responses to the text that's just been mm. read then there's there's always the danger that two different students could legitimately have read the same bit of text and understood it in a slightly different mm. way. And so what we might think of as, as an objectively correct answer to a question isn't necessarily, and there yes. may be other ways of interpreting that question. But just on distractors, because obviously this is a massive part of, of multiple choice questions. So plausibility is in there. And, and is that essentially saying there's no point having a redundant answer? That if, if you can't think of three plausible distractors, you can only think of two, well then just have it out of three options, the correct answer and two plausible ones, as opposed to just shoehorning in one that's that's pointless. Is, is that the point? I th th that touches on a lot of important points. And, and yes, fundamentally it is. So to give you a simpler and, you know, in a sense, more trivial example, if I, if I asked you the capital of a country that you may be less familiar with the capital of, say, let's say if I picked Eritrea oh, as, as a capital. Come on, don't. Then, <laughs> then you, at this point, you don't know the answer. I'm in trouble. I'm hoping, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, but if I give you three options that are London, Paris and Rome. Oh, now, okay. Now yes. you know the answer. Things are looking up. So that question has failed to ascertain ah, yes. whether you know the capital of, 
of Eritrea. You know, the distractors have actually are fundamentally given the answer away to you. That's interesting. And, and it, even though that's in a sense a trivial example, it works exactly the same way within most assessments. If it's that easy to discard the distractors for a candidate that doesn't have the required subject knowledge to answer, mm. then fundamentally, it's not assessing. The question isn't assessing what we intended it to assess. Yes. So I haven't assessed whether you knew the capital of Eritrea in that. The difficulty here is with the tension between trying to make the distractors plausible mm. and wrong. Yes, yes. And so the danger is that as soon as you make them wrong, mm. enti you know, in entirely and objectively wrong in every sense, then in many subjects there's a danger that they become easy to treat as implausible yes, and yes. see they're wrong. I mean, you mentioned one of the big advantages here is the reliability in terms of the marking. But it sounds to me there's a hell of a lot of effort needs to be put in to make sure that we get that advantage whilst not getting the disadvantages of implausibility and, and so on. Is it worth it, Zeke? Are we, are we getting enough benefit from the reliability to outweigh way all these potential minefields that we could stumble upon to get in that right question? I think that's a good question and different people will give you different answers. So in America, just based on the fact that they use multiple choice so extensively, mm. they would absolutely argue yes. Mm. We have in, in this country, we've always been slightly multiple choice averse. Yes, yeah. Therefore, we might come up with a different answer to that question. I think the best way to approach it is to, to ask what the best way of asking a particular question is. Because you do have different advantages and disadvantages, then by thinking about the piece of content you want to assess, it's often possible to start distinguishing between those advantages and disadvantages and thinking about, for that particular question, whether it's going to work better uh -huh. in one format or another. So as an example, if I ask the question, why is, this is a science question, why is ammonia sometimes added to drinking water? Okay. Then that's a constructed response question. And as a constructed response question, that might work perfectly well. Mm. Then I start to think about whether I can come up with plausible distractors yes, to yes. this question. And it's not easy to do yeah. so. And this this is actually based on a past question from decades ago that I, that I came across. And the distractors in this question, one of them was to make the water undrinkable. Right. And one of them is to make the water green. Right. And so we all know that, you know, that those two cannot be sensible responses to that question. And, and therefore, it hasn't worked as a multiple choice right. question in that case. And you might argue that as a constructed response question, it would have been a more valid question, a more valid assessment of that candidate's yes, understanding yes. of that particular point. Probably the next most important are about the language. Mm -hmm. There is one not often discussed advantage of multiple choice questions, which is that constructed res response questions are much prone to ambiguity than multiple choice questions. Mm. If I asked you a constructed response question, then there may often be more than one way of interpreting it. Right. If I ask that question as a multiple choice question, then quite often the very fact that I've given you four options and one of those must be correct has reduced the possible number of interpretations you could apply to that question. There are, though, still a number of language issues that do need to be thought of. Most of them are the same issues you would consider with constructed response questions. There are some that, that need to be considered specifically to multiple choice, or they're more important perhaps within multiple choice. So the, uh, one that often comes up is the use of negative words like not. Right. Now, th for a number of reasons, the use of negative words in questions tends to cause 
problems for, for test takers. Right. There's two dimensions, I think, to this. One of them is that it can add to the language complexity of a sentence. Okay. And the other one is that it's quite easy to overlook the word. And the danger is that if you overlook the word, then you're answering the wrong question, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the entirely wrong yes. question. And so there's been examples of research where this issue has been trialled. And the effect of simply emboldening the word not in that question is drastic in terms of the performance of the students wow. because it, it's a short word, so you're more yes. likely to miss it, but also because most questions in tests are written in the positive. Mm. So that's our default. That's our expectation. Ah, yes. So if, if the question goes against that, then we're going to miss it. But the point to stress really in relation to multiple choice with negative words is that I, I think that the challenge in dealing with, with negatives and multiple choice is actually greater. Mm. And so to give you an example, there's nothing wrong and sometimes it's necessary to, to use not in a very simply constructed sentence which of these is not x and okay. you know whatever that happens to be and yes. that, that that sort of thing could be used in science or, or anything else the other one point that's maybe specific to multiple choice when it comes to language is that you've often got a choice when you write a multiple choice question about two types of format the first one is writing the stem mm -hmm. as a question so mm -hmm. it ends in a question mark and then you've got your four options yes. or how many it is yep. below that. The other method is called sentence completion or stem completion. Oh, right, and okay. what happens there is that the stem is the start of a sentence mm. and one of the options correctly completes got it. the stem. Now, both of those that I think the literature would suggest and my experience would also say are fine, except for the one danger, which is that when the, the word count, if you like, for the question is high, mm. then there is a greater danger with the sentence completion one. Imagine you had several lines of text in the stem mm. and then each option was also several lines long. Right. Then you've suddenly got to hold in your head everything ah, in that yes. stem and then read it against yes. each one of the options to decide which one's correct. Wow. I mean, you've given us loads already. Is there anything else that springs to mind? Well, the next type of issue mm. is really about cues that give away so ah. this is the, the so we've talked about distractors and we've talked about language yes the third is about unintended mm. cues okay that give away the answers to the questions now in america students are much more familiar with this as an issue they are taught that if you don't know the answer to a question you really have no idea then look out for certain cues oh. that might allow you to eliminate some of the distractors and, oh, and, right. and, and therefore get to the correct answer without actually possessing the required knowledge. It's still something at the end of the question writing process. It's not something that, you, you know, I'd want to impede people's thinking when they're writing and you know, when they're getting to the heart of the distractors and the yes. content. But at the end, it's a check. Are there any cues? Are there any properties of the, of the distractors in the stem that are giving away the answer? And so, so some of those might be that there is often considerably more detail in the correct option <laughs> than in the three incorrect yes, um, yes. options to the question. Now, it's often the nature of the option makes it require more words. Yes. But to the student who's been taught this, it's a giveaway that that's likely to yes. be the correct answer. You know, th those are another set of things to think about. But as I say, I would always look at those right at the end of the process. They shouldn't impede your thinking while you're writing. I'll tell you what I'm thinking here, Zeke. 
because as a teacher, I've used lots of multiple choice questions in, in my teaching. So I think they're great to provoke discussion between students. What, even if the student knows that option A is the right answer, well, why is B wrong? Why is C wrong? What other one would you have chosen? What other plausible distractor? I think they're a great teaching tool. But I'm worried here, Zeke. I, I'm certainly not putting enough thought into these compared to, to your question writers. So should I and other teachers be using these or is it is it too dangerous to use them if we're not considering all these all these kind of guidelines i think there are lots of very good reasons to use multiple choice in the classroom i think that the one that you mentioned earlier about using misconceptions mm. is is absolutely fundamental there isn't always the time to look at you know long answers to questions that students might give and look across lots and lots of of responses you know potentially a whole test of responses mm. and try and think about where students are going wrong and where their misconceptions lie that ability particularly in mathematics to base your options on misconceptions can tell you so much about students' understanding of a particular topic that would otherwise take a considerable yes. considerable amount of time to gauge if you were asking the same questions in a constructed response format. What I want to do now, Zeke, is we're going to put multiple choice questions on trial, right? You can be the witness, if you like, and I'm going to, I'm going to propose big arguments I've heard against multiple choice questions. And I want to know what your response is. Sure. Okay, right, okay. So the first one that I often hear is they only test factual knowledge. What's your response to that? That's not true. Um, <laughs> it's really important to state that, but it is true to say that there is always a danger that most questions written, unless there's really careful thought about what it is that you're doing when you're writing them, will end up assessing factual knowledge only. It requires more thought to assess higher order skills. In some ways, the difference is simple. It's if you take a subject like science, if you have no source material whatsoever, mm. no data, mm. no table, no context, nothing, and you just ask a question, it's almost certainly the case that all you can then do is assess factual yes, information and yes. nothing more. But it's actually quite simple to, to go above that and assess, for example, analysis mm. by including novel information, a table, some source material, a context of an experiment and so on. And as soon as you do that, then it, it's eminently possible to start writing questions that are assessing analysis and their understanding of that context. And, you know, it might be calculations within, a, within the context or, or other aspects of it. To go higher than that level, mm. higher than analysis, obviously there are some skills that simply cannot be assessed using multiple choice. We can't assess meaningfully a candidate's ability to build structured, you know, longer arguments. Yes. Um, we yes. can't re meaningfully assess creativity, original argument and so on, because by definition we are giving them the answer mm. and they have to find it. Mm. So there are limitations, but we can assess... If we take, for example, GCSEs and A-levels in the UK, we can probably assess quite a lot. In many subjects, we can assess quite large proportions, if you like, of any specification with just multiple choice. OK, the jury's convinced on that one, I think, Zeke. Allegation number two, my kids just guess them. They don't do any thinking. They just guess any answer. Well, what, what do you say to that? The evidence suggests that there's almost never complete guessing mm. unless there's such such levels of disinterest that, yeah, then, you <laughs> yes, know, sure. interestingly, with computer based assessments, that can be detected ah. because the giveaway is if less time is spent on a question than, wow. it, than it sensibly takes to read it, <laughs> wow, then then, yes. then you know that there's motivation is low, for example, and the candidates are yes, likely to be guessing yes. in those situations. 
But generally, it's not true. And for anyone that doubts that, the best way of testing it is to put a, an assessment in front of you, multiple choice one, that, that relates to a subject that you know absolutely nothing mm -hmm. about. Let's, you know, let's pretend dentistry if yep. you're not a yep. dentist. And you'll probably find yourself still reading the questions, yeah. despite the fact that it's very unlikely you're going to know what the correct answer is and still trying to determine what the correct answer is from, from the options in front of you, or at least trying to eliminate one or two yes. of them so that you've got a greater chance of being able to then guess the answer. So in practice, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, and I think a key point there is that uh, certainly some of the kids I've taught who just don't put any effort in and just guess, they're the same ones who just leave out a non-multiple choice question anyway. It's not, for me, the specific nature of the question that lends itself to not putting the effort in. It's more the students, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there is always a at some level of issue with the fact that you can guess mm. because some marks are going to be picked up. But in the end, the assessment has to be designed, particularly if there's a large proportion of multiple choice questions. It's designed so that even for candidates that, you know, that did guess across the, in theory, across the test, they're still not going to pick up a, a grade from, you know, yes. a, a grade from doing that. The, the test has to be designed that way. For example, you're not going to get a 100% uh, multiple choice test with four, with four options per question, where if you get 25% as your result, you're going to pick up a, yes. a you know, a grade in, in that assessment. And if you did, then I would suggest there's probably a problem somewhere with, with that test. This next one, Zeke, I'm, I've got to admit, I, I do feel this a bit and I'm interested in, in your take on this. What do you say to people who say it's a hell of a lot of effort for just one mark in an exam to answer one of these multiple choice questions? It can be. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't see as much multiple choice questioning in GCSEs and A-levels in many subjects is because there is consideration given to the amount of work required to answer a question or the amount of knowledge or skill, mm. if, if you like, required to mm. answer a question. And so often it's not appropriate to ask a question where, you know, where, where there is lots to do, comparable, for example, to a constructed response question, a test that's worth three or four marks, yes. and then only give it one mark. It also can lead to strategy amongst, mm. amongst the students, which we don't want to see. You know, if that was the case that the test worked like that, then I would probably advise my students to do all the longer questions first and then come to the multiple choice questions in the end, because actually the amount of time you spend on each one, given the fact they're only worth one mark means that logically you are better off yes. leaving them till the end. Yes. That's one of the reasons I think why we use multiple choice in maths, but not necessarily that extensively, mm. is for that reason that we want to assess larger scale problem solving, showing working and so on. Mm. And if you ask a question that, that requires multiple steps and then you only give it one mark at the end, then it is, in the sense I've just described, it's unfair on, yes. on the students and it, and it doesn't represent what they've just done in relation to the whole test. Yes, I think that's fair. Let me go controversial on you now, Zeke. I know that AQA's maths GCSE papers, they have, I think it's about six multiple choice questions per paper, something like that. And I think all papers I've seen start off with at least three or four of these multiple choice questions. What do you say to the argument that actually it's not a good way to settle students into a paper, to confront them immediately with a challenging question and really plausible distractors that immediately get them kind of panicky a little bit. Is, is it not better to ease them in with a non-multiple choice question? I think that's a, that's a very fair question. Maybe the counter argument to, to <laughs> yeah, what you just said 
is that you often feel as a student answering a multiple choice question that you've got a good chance of you, that you've answered it correctly mm. because one of the answers is there. Yes. So whereas if it's a constructed response question, and you know this is all largely psychological, admittedly, sure, of course. then it's more likely to be blank. It's very unlikely you're going to leave it blank because you can at least have a go. Mm. And, you know, even with some limited understanding, you can often eliminate some of the distractors and feel like you've got a, a good chance of, uh, yes. of answering. It's for one other thing that's worth saying with maths is that what you'll find with these, the maths questions that we'll ask, at, or all awarding bodies, I think really will ask at GCSE and A-level, is they're not necessarily just the straight calculation type questions but they're often ones that require you to make comparisons between the options mm. and I think those are quite interesting and they can't really be asked as constructed response so for example ordering fractions or saying which one of these fractions is the largest or the smallest mm. these are things that they, they don't work in the same way as other multiple choice questions because you are being asked to directly compare one option with the other ones and, and you know and, and therefore say which one which one's the biggest so in the end often many of the questions we use in maths are of quite a different style and type. Mm. Um, and they're things that you couldn't actually ask as a constructed That's response question. Whereas in science for, um, or, or English, most questions that you ask as multiple choice can also be asked as constructed uh, response as well. That's interesting. Uh, one more for you to, to try and defend this. What do you say to the argument that curriculum time shouldn't be spent learning a strategy to answer a particular question type? multiple choice questions it should just be spent on teaching students knowledge what what do you say to that argument i think that is true i think some strategy a modicum of strategy is always going to be unavoidable mm. you know that one of the biggest points to make is that it's absolutely crucial with other question types constructed response questions and so on that students are made familiar with the mark scheme for the particular assessment and, and how it works and the sorts of responses that are awarded in constructed response questions because there are different ways of answering questions. And unfortunately, they're often, particularly for longer questions, where there are command words used that don't have a clear meaning that's easy to define, mm. explain, describe, yes. and discuss, and, mm. and, and so on. Understanding what's required by looking at past mark schemes and, and so on is an in inherent part. And there is mm. some level of strategy in that. So based on that, I think that the, the strategy with multiple choice is actually in one sense and, and the teaching behind answering the question type is probably less of an issue actually than, than it is with constructed response questions where you've got to understand exactly how a mark scheme works. Yes. You know as the candidate that one of those answers is right. So other than those cues that we talked about before, mm. which which may be taught to some extent here and, and are certainly taught in America, they don't necessarily have the same strategy implications, if you like, te you know, teaching strategy implications that other questions have. I have had one of the best times I've ever had it. This is, this is my kind of day, this, chatting about multiple Excellent. choice questions. So <laughs> thank you so much for your time today. I've loved every second. Thank of you. It. I've really enjoyed it too. Thanks. Thanks.